Hi, everyone. Welcome to the fourth episode of Socks in the City. I'm Sam. I'm Will. And today we'll be talking about a bunch of different topics, but mostly talking about spring training. Uh, to start, we should probably talk about Noah's song because we kind of missed him over the break. I recorded a solo episode and could not figure out how to edit it properly and it would not upload. So I did talk about this, but it has been lost to time. <laughs> um, Noah's song was drafted by the Phillies in the Rule 5 draft last year. Uh, former Red Sox pitching prospect really hasn't pitched since 2019 because he's in the Navy. Um, now on the Phillies roster, he's, I don't know, he was a very interesting pitching prospect. He could reach 100 with two really good secondaries. Uh, if you put him, if you put 2019 Noah Song in our farm system, he would probably be the top-ranked pitching prospect. He maybe along the Luis, Luis Perales role, they kind of are similar uh, profiles. I mean, yeah, I think pretty much Noah Song was sort of that Luis Perales before Luis Perales. There's a lot of hype around him, and then you inevitably have the the military thing, so people really don't know what to do with them because they, they didn't really know when he was going to be in the military, how long it was going to be. And so this kind of a – people kind of forgot about him, but he is a very talented player, and, I mean, that's why the Phillies drafted him, I think, initially, is because he does have that that value. Now, it's a very weird draft choice considering all the considerations that go into it, but I think you, it's undeniable that no song – has talent and that he, I mean, he could work out at some point. Yeah. I just, the problem is that he has to stick on the major league roster basically the entire year. You get 90 days of grace period. Um, well, I guess it's a little bit more because he's coming back from the Navy. You get like 105 days grace period, but the rest of the time he's going to have to be on the major league roster. And he, I granted, he was a very interesting pitching prospect in 2019 he has never pitched above low A. He saw seven innings in low A. That's the most he's seen above rookie ball. And he hasn't pitched in three years. I, the people who, and I'm not kidding, I must have had 10, 20 people from the Phillies fan base in my mentions saying that he was actually going to make on their major league roster for like a significant amount of time. Please be serious. It's not going to happen. He's either going to be traded to like an Oakland A's, Detroit Tigers type that can roster him. Even though they're, even though he can't pitch at all, uh, or or he's going to be returned to the Red Sox. There's not really anything more interesting that we could talk about. He's either going to the Oakland A's or he's going to be returned. Yeah, I think the, the Rule Five draft is a very confusing thing for a lot of fans because it's basically the rules are that if after a certain point, it's the, the intended purpose is to make sure that minor league players have the opportunity to make the, the major leagues even if the team or the system that they're in the farm system of, even if that team doesn't allow them to, or doesn't have the room to come up to a major league roster, it's supposed to give players a chance to play at the major league level. And there are a lot of like really kind of exceptions to this where there's a lot of special rules and a lot of money going back and forth. And I think maybe the Phillies were hoping that, so the rule is you can stash a player on the injured list or for him, it would be unable to play, just it's a separate list. But I think maybe they were hoping that they were able to keep him on this list of where he wasn't able to play. They were able to keep him on the injured list or the equivalent for this entire year, so you don't have to worry about him taking up a roster spot. And then the next year, it's the amount of time you have to have him on the major league roster, like you are saying, is, is only 90 days. So I, I guess they're maybe betting. We'll see. Maybe we only have to get him for a sort of limited amount of time, not the full 
the full season basically because if you if you have them healthy and there isn't a legitimate reason they can be on an IL or something like that they have to stay on the major league roster but yeah basically it goes to the I think especially when it was it came out that Noah Song was returning for the military and that he'd come back to major league baseball then it kind of forced the Phillies he's kind of have to be on their roster and I just don't think he can stick there considering the Phillies do have World Series expectations as they, they were there last year. They're planning to go back again this year. So I really don't see Noah Song sticking there at all. Maybe another team is willing to take a shot on him, but just because he's so raw in development, I just don't see a team that's going to put him on their major league roster for long enough for him to stay in their system. Yeah, the Phillies, this is probably the worst outcome for the Phillies. They were going to try and take him and stash him on a military reserve list for the entire year. And then once the year is up, you have no restrictions like the major league roster restrictions. You can option them. Uh, And that's what they were obviously hoping to do. Um, I just, this is the worst outcome probably for everyone, except for like an Oakland A's or Detroit Tigers that he could theoretically be traded to because he's not in the Red Sox farm. He's not going to make it on the Phillies roster the only people who benefit are the A's or Tigers of the world. And that kind of sucks, but, you know, that's just how it is. Yeah, and it sounds like from the reports coming out, Haim was aware that Noah Song was going to be coming back, and that's part of the reason why I didn't place him on the 40-man, because he knew that sort of this situation that's happening with the Phillies, he was aware of it. So it really sounds like, I guess, the Phillies, they took a took a gamble. There's still a chance it works. There's a very small chance that he maybe becomes a reliever at that level. It'd be an absurd leap for a player like him. But I think it sounds like Haim was aware of it. So it made the correct decision here, and it'll probably lead to Noah Song being back in our system. Here, if Bloom protected Noah Song, I would have been upset. I, I would have I actually been, like, that would have been probably the worst move of his entire tenure. I would even argue trade the Mookie Betts return was, would be worse because it made no sense whatsoever. Yeah, you the current state of this roster cannot afford to burn a 40 man spot on someone who can't pitch and someone who hasn't pitched in three years. It just never made sense to roster him. I, I, I Pete Abraham called losing him in the rule five an unmitigated disaster rostering him would have been an unmitigated disaster. Yeah, exactly. There's just so much talent that even if you're looking at spring training this year, there's guys who are talented and probably should make an MLB 40-man roster who aren't going to make the Red Sox's 40-man roster just because there's so much talent competing for those spots. And so if you if you had Haim protecting a guy who really just made no sense to be on anyone's Rule 5 draft radar, really, then it's a good move by Haim keeping him off of it. And it looks like, I guess, the Red Sox get, an, get some money. You get, you get a little bit of money if someone takes your play in the Rule 5 draft. So... They've been beginning a few hundred thousand dollars, but that looks like it's about it. Yeah, they should get a hundred thousand each for Politi, Song, and who am I forgetting? I'm missing a big one. Oh, Thad Ward. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so they should get, I mean, 300 grand is not, you know, it doesn't really mean anything to us. Yeah, it's a very small amount of money. And they, they end up have they have to pay 50,000, I believe, to get. Noah Song back if he comes back. So, yeah, I mean, how much money? Yeah. Uh, In other news, uh, another prospect news, Baseball America today released their farm system rankings. Um, Unsurprisingly, the Red Sox were not 23rd. They were not lower. They were a little bit higher. 
Uh, Baseball America ranked them as number 10 in the entirety of MLB. Yeah, and this is kind of the, the validation I think a lot of people have been looking for when it comes to Haim, where he's f- finally someone's looked at all the farm system, and Baseball America is is really great. They do a lot of depth. Like, they, they know what they're talking about. And so when the Red Sox being top 10, it's really showing how there is a lot of talent in the system, and I think people are starting to recognize that. Like, Fangraphs has them fairly high. Baseball America has them high. And so it's really a... I think maybe a little bit optimistic. I think you're looking at the spring training so far from Emmanuel Valdez has been really good. Yoshida is maybe involved in that. So it may be a little bit optimistic, but it's really showing how much talent there is in the Red Sox system and how much potential there is. Yeah. The Baseball America farm ranking is a little bit awkward because it does include Masataka Yoshida. I don't really consider him to be a prospect at all. Um, but I think that they should be around the top 15 area, and I think that losing Ishida, I they have him ranked as what, the Red Sox fourth highest rate prospect or third highest rate prospect? Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. I, I, I that, that whole thing is very odd. I don't, I, like I said, I don't, I wouldn't consider him a prospect, but just removing him would probably put you around the 15 range, and I think that that's where we are. You have your really high end talent with Marcelo Meyer and Miguel Blaze. Uh, some other interesting guys at the top, but not that much pitching depth, as previously mentioned. But the pitching depth does look a lot better now that we are uh, two weeks into spring training. Yeah, exactly. And I really think that it's important to note that you had you had guys graduate and we're still this high. Like if you look at sort of the the rankings last year, just if you look at the Mariners, the Mariners were first. They had guys. They got like Julio Rodriguez graduate, George Kirby. Now you get the Orioles being first. And so there is a, there is a lot of movement even with these really talented systems because guys are graduating. And the Red Sox had someone graduate in Brayon Bale. Like, I think it's going to be really, really great to see if we can have guys like Bale. And I think this year you can possibly see Valdez, Mata, a lot of those guys graduating. And if we can keep consistently having talent and having added talent, then it really shows that the the Heim system is working, that we're, that we're capable of having talent go to the major leagues and then sort of refresh the, the minor league system and still have sustainable talent. And that's what you're kind of looking for for consistent success is you need to be always ha- you know, always have that farm system where you can have talented players being added to the major league roster if you want to compete long term. And it looks like the Red Sox are, are building a system, they've built a system, and are continuing to build a system that can do that. Yeah, no, I fully agree. Uh, if you look at the farm system rankings, it is an interesting mix because the the farm systems at the top are not the ones that you necessarily would expect. And the farm systems at the bottom are not the ones you would necessarily expect. The Detroit Tigers, I think, are rated the 26th worst. Like, they are really, really poor. The Royals are also pretty low. And you look at the top and you see, like, the Dodgers. Um, the only team that's really an outlier is the Braves. They're dead last. And that's because they just traded everyone uh, and, and they they have all their prospects have graduated and they've signed them to extensions. I, I The Heim plan of, or I guess it's not necessarily the Heim plan, it, the general concept of acquiring as much prospect talent as you can and trying to create the eternal like farm system where you develop a guy, have a play for you, and then maybe not necessarily um, sign an extension uh, it, it does work, and that's kind of what the Dodgers have done. I mean, you could see they could, every single year they have a rookie of the year contender, and, and they continually are top ten in the farm system rankings, if not top five. I, it's just the the system that we have currently does work, and 
the average fan hating on it doesn't make it work any less. Yeah. And I think a really great example, like you go back to the Braves, the Braves, they're last, but you kind of want to do what the Braves are doing because as valuable as really good players are on expensive contracts and getting a free agency, what's really valuable is getting guys like you got, like if you look at really any young young guy on the, the Braves roster, you got Harris Acuna, you got literally everyone is signed to a cheap contract for like 10 years. And those contracts yeah. are going to be extremely valuable and allow teams to to make that splash in free agency that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do. And the Red Sox really want to do that. Like, I think we'll see a Casas extension and, and sort of the similar type of deal making that teams want to be doing because if you can get a young player with a lot of talent, sign for long term for cheap, it's just that's one of the most valuable things in baseball. Yeah, I mean, the, the what the Braves have done are, is just a precedent. They have all of their star talent locked up, and they've acquired guys like Sean Murphy and extended them. It's it's you can see what we're starting to implement that with the extensions of Whitlock, and obviously they've been having extension talks with Cassis, like you mentioned. It's just it takes time to get from where we were in 2018 into where we are now. Uh, the, the rebuild's almost almost done. I know it's always uh, one more year, but it really does feel like we've reached the, the the fulcrum of the of the rebuild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think another thing about that is what those contracts allow is a ton of flexibility. Because if you look at some of the problems the Red Sox have had, you had the David Price contract and the Chris Sale contracts, which have been they were they're terrible. The David Price contract cost us an extra prospect, a talented prospect from the Dodgers and the Mookie Betts deal, and Chris Sale that thirty million or even more is just it's really held the Red Sox back. And so if you have these contracts with guys, even if they have a sale like freak injury history and they get injured year after year after year, you're not worried about those players taking up too much space, too much basically cap space, because if you have them for a reasonable price, you're able to move those players. They can be traded. No one's like, no one's going to be really, no one wants to trade for a David Price contract because you're getting an old veteran who's way overpaid. But people are maybe willing to pay, okay, I'm going to pay maybe half that much for a talented player, had a rough history, but I'm willing to bet on that player. So it just gives you a ton of mobility when it comes to roster construction moving forward. All right. And then moving on, the biggest news of the offseason so far has probably been the pitch clock. Um, Everyone's talking about it. If you're listening to this podcast, you know what it is. You know the rules. You know how wonky it's been for the first few games. Will, what do you what are your thoughts on the pitch clock? Yeah, so it's it's definitely an adjustment. It's changes the it changes baseball that you kind of you kind of grow up with. Like it's hard. It, it's as you can see in spring training, it's a really jarring transition. Like if you think about going from a three hour game to maybe a two and a half hour game, it doesn't seem like it's, it can be that much different. But when you go on the individual pitch clock and you're watching, like that crucial moment, you have the bases loaded. Three balls, two strikes, guy up, and he strikes out, and like, oh, the bottom of the ninth, and he strikes out because he didn't get in the box in time. Like that's that's crazy for to think about. If you told me that last year, I'd be very worried about the pitch clock. But sort of as it's gone on more, I think what it's been in spring training is it's kind of prepping. It's like the rest of spring training, it's prepping players for the regular season. And so I think players are kind of get ready that the pitch clock is they're going to get ready faster because they know the pitch clock is there. They're going to be able to 
sort of change their routines, which I know baseball, a lot of it is routine. Like you see players go up, they're adjusting their gloves, they're doing whatever, they're drawing a line on the on the plate or something. I think players, there is some adjustment period where they, they go from that to this now way faster sort of at bat. But I think it is kind of, I think it's going to be really helpful in terms of now games are going to be a lot easier to watch. More people are going to watch them. And it's kind of just, it's kind of, I think, be a little bit more exciting for people. So I, I do like the change. I think it's good. I think it's kind of what baseball needs going forward is these changes to make it more more exciting and, and faster. And so I think it's it's a rough adjustment for sure. But I think in the future, it's really kind of reaping some benefits. Yeah. You see, it's really jarring on for the games that you've watched. I've been to a lot of the games, and I don't find it super easy to notice. The the way, the one caveat is that my seat for the games is like straight on at the pitch clock. I do get a good look at it for most of the game, but the actual pitch clock, like the rules itself, I don't notice at all. The pitchers almost always, like probably ninety nine percent of the time of the of the games that I've been to, at least, the pitchers not gotten a violation the batters are really the ones that are getting their violations i've seen maybe three in the few games that i've been to it really is not as common as as it feels like it is um the one thing that i thought was really funny is i can't remember which game it was one of the games the red sox had at home they had a stem day event and they invited a bunch of kids from gateway charter middle school and elementary school to like visit for free and they sat them in like the nosebleeds and the kids were counting down the pitch clock as it went. And I just, I can only imagine that that's part of that integration with the youth fans that you're talking about that really is going to help with bringing those young fans. Cause it's just I, the way that Gen Z and Gen Alpha are kind of wired, it's been hard to keep their attention, especially for three, three and a half, four hour games. That can definitely help, uh, especially with younger kids. I think it's interesting. I, there's definitely some stuff that needs to be reworked. Uh, but overall, I think that the pitch clock's a positive. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I think is sort of in baseball that there's not a, there's not a ton of action because there is all that prep time. And then you have like it, it's not it's not like basketball where everyone's running up and down the floor all the time. So I think what the pitch clock does is it really kind of it adds that tension of okay, you're sort of you're counting down like. I don't know. Just for me, it adds a little bit of tension to the game because now it's no longer going to be as a pitcher. I can spend a bunch of time just messing around, adjusting my hat and stuff. And you don't really get that sort of tension the way you do when it's you can see that you can see the pitch clock and see it's counting down. And I think that's going to be really great for a crucial pitch in a game where you can see the pitcher's nervous. The, the clock's coming down. He has to make this pitch. The batter's like, it's. it adds another level of tension to the game. And I think that'll be more exciting to watch. And I do think that kids, I mean, it's the TikTok generation where people's attention spans are, are shorter. And I, I think it's going to help sort of prolong the game even even more than it has sort of all these other rules like the, the guys second base next year inning. I think it's another step in that direction. And I think it's one of the more significant ones. But it is a really great way to get sort of, I think, make games more fun and more interesting. Yeah, and to the people who are, like, complaining, oh, imagine if the game ends in the World Series on a pitch clock violation. Please. I mean, there's been World Series games that were determined by interference. The pitch clock violation would be pretty minuscule compared to that. It's just, I, I, I cannot imagine caring that much about a hypothetical 
that almost certainly will be resolved within a few months. I mean, it's not going to happen. And if it does, it would be like, it would be the batter's fault entirely. It's just a ridiculous, like, fear-mongering thing. I don't get it at all. Yeah. And I, I think I think that the reason it sort of came up and been really harsh, people have been harsh about it, is because it did happen in that spring training game where it is sort of that crucial situation. And it's kind of underwhelming to have it be, yeah, he strikes out because it was a batter violation. You don't really get to see that pitch. But, yeah, like you're saying, there's a lot of things in baseball that aren't interesting that could, like, lead to a game ending, like catcher interference, like you are mentioning. Like, bases loaded balk would be really kind of boring to watch. But, yeah, I think I think players, don't, don't, they're professionals. They'll be able to adjust to the rule. And if it, if it happens in a World Series, it's going to be because – I, I, I doubt it will because I think the players are professionals and will be, will be prepared. But I think it's just – it's part of the game now, and I think players got to adjust to that, and it's part of how they play the game now. Uh, do you want to move on now to regular spring training reports? Yeah, let's talk spring training. All right. To start, I, I do section in my notes for this for this podcast. I do section in players by position group. So we'll start with the pitchers. Um, today, obviously, the game – against the Astros was not televised, but Richard Blyer pitched two innings. And I guess I wrote down look good, but I guess he sounded good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think with all the pitchers in spring training, it's all kind of a take it with a grain of salt. You've had some guys look good, like Modest look good, Walter look good, and they're sort of outing. And then, I don't know, it kind of feels like the only people it really matters for are those fringe roster guys. So, like, we talk about or is he's on the edge of that forty man? He's a DFA candidate, and it's looked kind of rough for him so far. So he he may be gone because of this. But for most pitchers, and especially the minor league guys, it's kind of a well. You pitched a couple innings, it went well or it didn't go well. We'll see. We'll just kind of more practice for you. So it's you can't take a lot away, but it could end up shaking up some of the forty man a little bit, and then where guys end up in the in the minors. Yeah, just to go back on Caleb Ort, his fastball, and we're going to touch on fastball velocity with Corey Kluber, his fastball velocity is normal. Like, he's reaching triple digits, and it's still getting crushed against minor league opposition. I It looks just terrible. Yeah, it's that's that's what's scary, is that if he was, if he was ramping up, if he wasn't hitting 100 and he wasn't getting shelled, I, would, I wouldn't be worried about him. But the fact that he's he's that's his, his his main thing that's kept him on the roster is he can throw 100 miles an hour. That just doesn't grow on trees. And if that doesn't end up being a skill that can, I mean, keep him alive against minor leaguers, it doesn't sound like he's going to be on the Red Sox for long, especially with all the talent in AAA who are waiting to come up and even just the sort of the non-roster invites who, who have been showing out. Like it's if you have a question of do you get Caleb Bort who hasn't looked good kind of ever in the in a sort of a major league setting or the spring training setting or do you take a guy like i don't know like tapia who's been who's been playing well greg allen fan favorite has been showing out in spring training so there's guys like that who are fighting for a roster spot and are close and if or just isn't good enough he, he might not end up making it yeah no i totally agree Especially with how some of these guys have been performing, uh, Ryan Tapia in particular, I really think that he's 
in competition with the Rams for not really for a roster spot, but for the next outfield man up. Uh, the only way that Duran or Tapia is going to get any significant playing time is if someone gets hurt, especially if someone gets 60-day IL'd. And if someone gets 60-day IL'd, I can only imagine Tapia is the first one that they're going to call up. Maybe Jorge Alfaro, but... Like, best thing is, it's it's really hard, like, because there's, there's just so much, there is so much talent that's kind of just barely on the edge. They're not quite, they're not the, they're not the major league level. You're not going to start them in the major leagues, probably. But then when you have injuries, it's the question of who do you bring up? And like like you were saying, there's Duran, you got Tapia, and again, Greg Allen, like he played really well. So I think you got a you got a lot of those guys. And the question is for spring training is how we're gonna how we gonna order these guys. And it looks like like Tapia, I think, is probably running away with that last spot. And Duran is fighting like they're all fighting for it. But it's just the question of who can kind of maintain that, maintain that sort of their quality hitting. Duran really needs to show he can play center field and actually play the outfield and as a legit major leaguer. And so they're all kind of trying to they're trying to show things to the Red Sox and that'll give them the chance to be able to play the major league level. And I don't know, spring training is again small sample sizes, but it's it's what matters when we're deciding who we want the 40 man, if we want as our outfield depth or catcher depth or whatever. Yeah. Uh, then circling back to Brian Mata, you mentioned him briefly. He looked good in his singular outing so far, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. I also saw him in my P. I also saw him in my today. Um, he looked good then. He faced Jorge Alfaro, Reese McGuire. Um, obviously, neither of them are the, the greatest hitters, but he did look good. I saw some people saying he was a potential book to be one of the roster spots for opening day. I don't think that that's feasible. He really hasn't seen that much time in AAA, but what do you think? Yeah, I, again, I think he's he's done well so far in spring training, like you are saying. His one outing was good. Again, I don't really see him, again, making the initial, initial major league roster just because you, he seems kind of set unless – we're going to see a trade or a shakeup or an injury. So I think Mata's probably going to start in AAA. But I, all this does, as he continues to perform, hopefully perform well during spring training, I think it'll just maybe accelerate, accelerate when he gets to the majors. Like I don't, I don't think he's just going to get to the point where he's going to be starting day one. But I could see a point where the Red Sox say, we were going to wait another month in the minors with him, but I think we can bring him up now, especially if those guys on – the Red Sox are struggling. He might be brought up a little bit faster than he might have before. Yeah, I just, I, I don't know what the situation would be for him to start. You have seven guys on the roster who could start. I guess, granted, there might be injuries. We, we're probably, we're going to talk about one of them a little bit from now. Um, but I just, I, I seriously think his best chance to make the, the big league roster is to, is in a relief role sometime in the middle of the year. I don't think that he's going to start this year at all in the big leagues, barring like a sell deadline, and then he gets called up after that. I, I just don't see his path forward this year. Yeah, there's there's a lot of things in the way. Obviously, we don't know how the season is going to turn out. There's a lot of injury risk with our pitchers, so that could end up bringing him up. But yeah, as of right now, it's kind of it looks like he's going to be spending a significant amount of time in AAA and uh, we might we might see him brought up in that again that sort of that role where he's kind of pitch a few innings, not as a starter, not really as a reliever in the the bail kind of follower role. We might see might see some of that, 
but it's just mm-hmm. kind of as of right now, it's it's hard to see him making a major league roster soon. And I don't know, we'll see how things shake out in the future. And all of this is also said, he could definitely be a 27th man for a doubleheader and pitch like five innings. I could see that happening at any point, even even like May or April. He, he That could happen, uh, but probably not. Yeah, it's just kind of, we'll see what he, we have to see him pitch in AAA and see how good he's going to be in AAA. Like the Red Sox really hesitant in bringing Bayo up. I think, I think they probably did it a little bit late, but with Bayo. Late? With Bayo, yeah, I mean, just the way the season turned out, I think you probably could have brought up Bayo a little bit sooner. Again, it was, I think, they, I, I, it was pretty soon compared to what they wanted to, but with the way last season turned out, I don't know. He, it felt really awkward the way they brought him up in terms of he, he's not a rookie, but they kind of want to keep him as it. It's just a very, I don't know, very weird rookie season for Bayo, and I think, I think they're trying to avoid that with Mata. It was definitely a weird rookie season, and I, I heard Hein talking about it on the backfield. He said it was just because everyone got hurt. All the starters got hurt at the same time. It was just like a freak thing. You're you're not wrong to say that he got called up in a weird way, but I definitely don't think it was late. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I think it was. I don't, I don't think it was that late considering what happened. But in terms of what they wanted with him, like they were trying to keep him out of the majors as long as possible, which I I didn't personally agree with because. Again, last year they kept a lot of guys in AAA that I felt probably should have been called up. Like you had Wong over Plowecki was an example, and kind of felt like they weren't they weren't like obviously they're trying to be competitive, but if you would ask the question at certain points in last season, is this the most talented twenty six man roster we could put in the majors? I don't think that was always yes. Just when you had Plowecki up there and you had Wong mashing in the minors and that kind of thing. And so, just based on that, like, I feel like I don't think that's going to change. I think Mata's probably going to be in the minors as long as they can keep him there. But, again, injuries obviously change things in trade, so we'll, we'll see. Yeah, and that, that also kind of goes for Chris Murphy and Brandon Walter, both of whom we've – have we seen both of them? Uh, yeah, they, they both not, I'm... that one spring training game. Okay, I really only remember Walter. Uh, maybe I remember Murphy. I, it all it all kind of blends together. Yeah, uh, but both of them will be in AAA. Both of them have the opportunity to come up for uh, like the same kind of role that I just mentioned for Bada, twenty seventh man, but probably not going to start long term, barring injuries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like kind of that trio and like Cora. Cora, I think they're going to be at the major league level this year just because Cora sounded really excited about them. But it's that sort of those three you got. Murphy, Mata, and Walter sound like those guys that are they're going to be the major soon enough. And, and obviously, Core is aware aware of them. And I think he's making plans on how to use them for the future. Yeah. Um, then a little bit of bad news. Garrett Whitlock might not make the opening day roster. He might still be rehabbing. Uh, they said that he's not injured. It's just the, the rehab's taking a little bit longer than ideal. I mean... It's always not great to hear that, but I I don't know. I I'm not particularly concerned. What do you think? Yeah, like with Whitlock, like we knew there was an injury there, and injuries, none of them are static. We don't have an exact date. We we're not going to say this injury is going to last 25 days, and then he'll be perfectly healthy. Obviously, there's a a build up in training, and I think they're just being extra cautious with them. 
I think probably if you ask the Red Sox on day one, opening day, could Whitlock pitch through the injury? They'd probably say yes, but I think they're just shutting him down because, again, we have all those we have all those rosters. Like We have those players on the roster. We have seven possible starters. We really don't need Whitlock initially, and so it's far better for us if we can let him get fully healthy and then he can pitch fully healthy the entire season as opposed to trying to have him start pitching and then battling that injury at the same time. So it's, again, you don't really like to hear it, but I think it's probably for the best. Yeah. And then moving on to a little bit brighter news, Alex Cora, when he was asked about who had stepped up in camp and who had really shined, he's mentioned James Paxson, which I thought was kind of surprising. Uh, I saw Paxson do live VP against Verdugo, Yoshida, and a few of the other lefties and some of the uh, minor leaguers. He looked dominant. I really don't remember any contact that was of note. There was like a single that I remember. Uh, but he, he looks really good. And I heard Greg Allen uh, say that his changeup is just impossible to get to get a good look at. Uh, Paxson, I, I've always been really high on Paxson. I, I know a lot of Red Sox fans thought that the contract was a disaster because you paid him $6 million last year to not pitch. I just I think that's short sighted. I really his contract looks absurd now. Four million for a guy who looks like he's going to start for us this year. Mm-hmm. I, I just it's a very good contract. It was always a good contract. I, I'm excited for him. With Paxton, again, this this really sounds like kind of the best case scenario what we're seeing with Paxton. Because obviously we knew there's a very talented pitcher and you had the injury that was a problem. I kept him out of the major like kept him from pitching for us last year. But if he really does look dominant and if he really does perform for a full season on $4 million, that's going to be just an incredible move by Heim to have that player here for incredibly cheap. It just – it really looks like it's going to be a phenomenal move. And obviously we haven't seen him really pitch yet that much. But so far as at this point of spring training, what's the best possible news you could hear about Paxton? I think we're there, that he's been the – he's been showing out in spring training. And we'll – I believe he's pitching the end of this week, maybe next week. But I'm really excited for Paxton. I, I do think he's going to end up as one of the one of the maybe the two or three in our, in our rotation because he is really talented. I think this year he's going to have a, a nice comeback and sort of I don't know. We can see him here for longer than a year, so I'm I'm really excited for Paxton this year. Yeah, I think Paxton pitches this Friday. I know how pitches tomorrow. And then moving on, I wanted to talk about Wyatt Mills, a guy I've been really high on all camp. His stuff just looks really, really nasty, especially in person. The movement on his pitches is absurd. I don't know what the Mariners and Royals did wrong, but whatever they did, the Red Sox have done right. His uh, He really looks like a solid reliever. I don't want to say Schreiber because I don't think anyone can reach the same level that he did. But his delivery, his movement, uh, he, he really does look like a promising reliever. And then his his appearance today looked really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's something I've got to get excited about. Like, I think he's he's kind of had, a, I think, a lot of pitchers, especially relief pitchers. Like, it's it's about when do they get their shot as opposed to how talented they are. And he kind of had a – he's moved around a lot. Like, just, just last year was from the Royals to the Mariners and out of the Red Sox. I think, and he's he's shown a lot of talent. Like he he looked really good in AAA. I think he again, especially with if Orch's not playing well, 
like he has the potential to sort of be that I guess replacement for Ort because he does have like like you were saying he's got the his stuff looks good every outing like he's kind of been of the relief pitchers he's one of the guys who really stood out so I'm excited for him and I think I think he'll be on the major league roster and I think he's kind of a, a sleeper to to be one of the better relievers on the Red Sox this year. I I really agree. I I I'm shocked, but he does look exactly like how you would hope him to. He does look like the kind of reliever that I he I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to expect from him. But I, I am expecting high things, a lot higher than I thought when he was traded here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think with relief pitchers, that's kind of how it goes. Is a, a lot, a, pretty much every relief pitcher has something they're really good at, and like keeps them in the major leagues, at least for the major league triple like, A, that kind of area. Like they're they're talented pitchers. It's really you get limited stints, and it's high performance those sort of limited stints. And so with a guy like Wyatt Mills, I think if you give him like this, if obviously still up in the air with him, and we haven't really seen a lot from him. But if he could sort of put it all together, take that really great movement on his pitches and sort of figure it out, then it could be one of the better moves for the Red Sox. And I think that sort of goes to that sort of, I think, organizational perspective on how pitchers are is instead of investing a ton in a pitcher, you take a lot of shots on pitchers. And so a guy like Mills, maybe he's bad, but if he, if he works out, that just could be a wonderful pickup and for really not that much. So he's another guy who could be another great high move. Yeah, I did like Jacob Wallace, but I do think his ceiling is probably a, a reliever, probably middle relief. Um, I, you never know. I mean, obviously, like you just mentioned, relief pitching is kind of really unreliable <laughs> at every facet. But I do like this trade, especially seeing with his stuff, his stuff in person. I, 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 it's so hard. I want to say I do. I expect a lot, but I have no idea. <laughs> I think just basically. A lot of these guys, we don't know. We haven't we haven't seen them pitch at all in the major league level, or really extended times in the major league level. But what there is a lot to like is even if like even if those guys in the major league roster, if they're not pitching well, it's not going to go to sort of we had last year where you had a guy like Orr come up and get shelled. Like I don't think we're going to be seeing nearly as much of that this year because I think the guys that are sort of going to be the the second tier of relief pitchers that are going to start coming up throughout the season, I think those guys are going to be looking a lot better than sort of what we had last year, and that's really going to benefit the Red Sox. Well, especially if those guys coming up are those AAA pitching prospects, like not not necessarily like the Caleb World like you just mentioned, but if the Chris Murphy, Brandon Walter, Brian Mata are the guys that we're calling up to not, not you know, do single inning relief, but do the bulk relief, that that just improving from what we had last year to this year, just having those three guys being able to do re- relief and like pinch pinch spots, I think is just night and day. I mean, it's not comparable to last year. Yeah, and I, like last year, you just had the relief pitching was a mess. You really had you had Whitlock, who looked good all season. You had uh, and kind of pretty much obviously Schreiber looked really great as two, but outside of them. You really couldn't trust anybody. Like, how can look good for a little bit, but then he had a lot of problems, and then everyone else was a mess. And this year, you just kind of you kind of replaced all that with really a lot of really talented guys who I think there's still going to be ups and downs, but you're going to see a lot more ups than downs with this this group as opposed to last year's. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, then moving on to position players, the main thing that I've noticed at camp is that Kike Hernandez looks like a capital S shortstop. He does look very good defensively. Yeah, like Kike, I'm kind of I'm kind of torn because I'm really big into Montessi, so I think I'd like to see him at shortstop for most of the year because I think he's one of the players that that I mean should be there. I. I don't know. Mondesi is one of the guys where just because I'm kind of in love with that speed power combo, and especially with the new rules and the new bases, like I think, I think underrated thing people aren't really talking about with the new bases. If if you go watch, I just saw this clip on Twitter the other day of JT JT Realmuto, him just throwing out guys, just stealing stealing right, and a lot of those a lot of those sort of instances where you throw a guy out. Is they'd be super close, like it kind of initially looked like the guy was safe, but they end up sort of review or whatever. They'd be called out. And with the bigger bases, a lot of those sort of outs are going to be just turned, kind of be safe. And Mondes, he's one of the guys where he's got a ton of speed, and I think could really, especially on the base pass, make a ton of difference. But then he's going to be injured to start, and Kike looks phenomenal at shortstop, and it's hard to pass up a Gold Glove shortstop. And we'll see, we'll kind of it'll be really interesting to see where all these guys end up because now you got sort of Kike is he's an interesting player at shortstop looks to be really good defensively we'll see a second base you got Arroyo you got people are talking about Emmanuel Valdez which again is kind of a little bit strange to hear strange to hear because we're really worried about that defense but so far hasn't looked terrible defensively at second so that sort of middle infield is. We're going to see a lot of guys there, and it'll be really interesting to see who breaks out and who ends up becoming that sort of end-of-season shortstops, second-base combo. Yeah, it's kind of funny to think about two months ago, there was no one on the roster that had played shortstop for the entire year of the year prior, and now we have multiple guys who look like they can absolutely do it. Story, I think, can play shortstop once it gets healed up in a few months. Kike look like he can do it. Mondesi can do it. I think in a pinch, even a David Hamilton type, and maybe – oh, I didn't even think about Yu Chang. I, we have so many middle infielders now that it's almost like a roster crunch. I don't know. Uh, Yu Chang's the obvious DFA once Story gets back or once Mondesi gets back. What do you do, like, when Story gets back? I, I, it's, it's, I know it's a few months into the future and you just never know, but there is a serious roster crunch coming in with the middle infield. Yeah, exactly. And it, it'll be really interesting to see who ends up sort of making it out of that because they yeah, the Red Sox went from sort of we had you had Bogarts and Story last year, then it was kind of revealed the story's gonna be out a significant time this year. You had Bogarts leave and then you had the the Jeter Downs, sort of everyone was like, Oh, Jeter Downs is gonna be our starting shortstop. Then you got him DFA'd and you're like, Okay, I'm kinda of worried now. Our only shortstop option is our one of our outfielders. Kike, but then now, yeah, you have you have Kike, you have Mondesi, you have Arroyo. You just have a ton of guys who could play that position, and so it's really going to be a fun thing, a fun little storyline to watch is to see which player is going to break out at a shortstop. Hopefully, one does, and hopefully, one makes it a lot easier with a roster crunch to decide which player is going to get DFA'd. Yeah, and then kind of talking about that middle infield crunch that's going to eventually happen. Uh, for the opening day roster, people have been suggesting in David Hamilton or Emmanuel Valdez, like you mentioned, um, just for like the brief period while Mondesi heals back up. I don't think that that's 
going to happen. I think if anything, Yu Chang is going to fill that hole um, of like shortstop two or second base number three. I just, I don't see either of them making it, but if, if, if either of them were to make the opening day roster while Modesty healed, it would absolutely be David Hamilton. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm kind of, I'm a believer in Valdez. Just, I don't know. Like, I, I think, again, it, it's kind of unlikely. We'll see with Valdez. But I think there's a shot that Valdez makes it so you kind of can't leave him off or can't put him over Yu Chang. Just the way he's been hitting so far. Like, one of the most exciting things for me to see is that that home run he hit when he hit that massive home run. That was off a lefty pitcher who he struggled against. He He's been worse significantly against lefties than he has righties. So if he can – if his hit tool's improving, if he can sort of get that average level against lefties and if he can play defense at a major league level, at like a passable level, like Valdez could be one of those guys that sort of makes – makes time have no choice and has to put him on the major league roster. David Hamilton, again, is one of those guys. He's kind of like the reverse of Valdez, where he's instead of being the offense, like instead of being the offense, like this kid can rake, but what about his defense? David Hamilton's kind of the opposite of that. And so David Hamilton, again, could he could be making the roster. It's a big lead for him. So it's both of those guys. I think it'll be interesting to see in spring training if any of them can make a compelling case to, to make it on that roster initially. See, my argument is that I just don't see where Valdez could fit. We have all of our corner outfield and infield are locked up as left-handed hitters. I, you can't have another left-handed hitter in the lineup every single day in Valdez. And I don't think that you want to have him just on the bench half the time either. So you want to have him get your starting reps in AAA. I think that that's I, – I can't see him any world where Valdez is on the opening day roster simply because I don't know where he would bat. I just I, – I, I don't know. I don't think it'll happen. I think Hamilton's a lot more easy to move around and have him sit on the bench than Valdez. I don't know what Valdez's future on this team is. Because, like I said, you have Cassis, Yoshida, um, Devers, and Verdugo. I, I – with those four, I don't know where you're going to have a lefty hitting everyday player. I just think that he's probably like a dark horse to get traded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the one thing in his benefit, or at least one of the things, is that again, the shift, they banned the shift. So it is going to be a little bit more helpful for lefties there. But what I'm, I think, I think Val is a dark horse trade candidate as well. The thing is, I'm also kind of worried about Verdugo because I, I don't know if Verdugo is going to sort of make it out of the season as a Red Sox. Just be based on, like, I like him. I think last year he got unlucky. But there there's reports coming out of the Red Sox that, like, first that he wants an extension. The Red Sox are kind of iffy on that. And that people on the Red Sox sort of believe that last season wasn't him just getting unlucky, but that he just doesn't – he's not as talented as – I don't know. I think people think he is. So I think it's kind of be like those two players, Valdez and Verdugo. I think it's going to be sort of a battle between them at some point to see, okay, which of these players are we going to keep? Because again, you have that sort of lefty crunch. And I think Verdugo is kind of a guy where they, they might say there just isn't a future for it. Like they don't, they don't like his projections. They don't like what he's been doing. And even though he's kind of a fan favorite, I, I could see them moving on from Verdugo. And another another left hand left handed player that's been doing well in spring training is Jaron Duran and Masataki Yoshida. I, I, I just 
the amount of left-handed hitters on this lineup or in this roster even is just it's so deep but it's it's none of them are making it an issue Duran has not made it an issue and Valdez up until this point has not made it an issue I just something has to give at some point they are going to have to trade someone yeah it's just kind of a they have a lot of players that you you love to keep them around you love to keep them but at the end of the day there's only nine positions you can play on the field in baseball and there's yeah there's just too many lefties and so it's a It'll be interesting to see what happens with it. Maybe they just say we're going to roll with it, see what happens, and throw a bunch of lefties in the lineup. But it is kind of a situation where it seems inevitable that you're going to get sort of Duran, Verdugo, Valdez, one of those guys is going to get traded. Yeah. And then the outfield during spring training, the two guys of note have been Sadan Rafaela and Raimel Tapia. Tapia, again, another lefty that's been – He's been hitting the lights off the ball. I mean, just he's been hitting incredibly well. He's not been like doing the ground ball thing that he's known for, but he's he has also been making an issue out of it. He really has been overperforming my expectations dramatically, and I just I don't know what you do. You can't add him to the roster because of he he's a left hand left handed hitter. There's just no place for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the that's the problem. Is Tapia looks really good, but again. A lot of other guys are looking pretty good, and you're not gonna, you're not gonna. Obviously, Yoshida's gonna be there for a while. Like a lot of the positions are kind of locked down. Where okay, we can't add another lefty here. And so Tapia, even though he's been really great, like I just don't know if he was gonna make the roster because he's a lefty. Even though he's making a really compelling case too. Yeah, I just don't think there's any chance unless unless. Yeah, no, I just don't know. I I, I really can't see any any world where there's. I just don't see it at all. Um, I, and it's, it sucks because, yeah, like I said, he's been performing extremely well. I, I just – it's unfortunate for sure. And then on the other hand, you have Sedan Rafaela, who has also been performing pretty well but in an entirely different way. Yeah, Rafaela, it's kind of exactly what you want to see out of him. Stefan's still great. I mean, he's looking at spring training. He's still making some fun kind of highlight real plays. But then the most compelling thing is for his hitting is he looks he looks kind of focused on the Red Sox told him, change your approach. You need to be you need to be more selective in what you're hitting and what you're swinging at. And it looks like so far, that's exactly what Rafael has come to camp to do. And that's super exciting. And I think that's really if he if he's able to to have that great eye at the plate, then boom. He kind of he validates all this sort of preseason hype he's getting, especially from from guys like Keith Law putting him highly. A lot of people are putting him really high, and it looks like he's determined to prove those people right. Because if his plate approach really has changed, and he's able to sort of instead of just swinging at everything, swing at those great pitches and take those out of the park, like he looks like he's going to be in the majors faster than we thought, and actually is making a really compelling case to sort of yeah make it make it this year and be a legit part of this this roster. Yeah, I, I fully agree. The Sedan Rafael that we've seen in spring training so far is absolutely the top 40 prospect that Keith Law ranked him as. I mean, it, he has looked just exceptionally good at the plate. We'll see if he can keep it up over the full season, but it's been a really, really exciting first few games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's – I mean, you really love to see that because I think, honestly, this, this outfield – there's a lot of question marks in the outfield. I think the only guy 
who really has a consistent spot there is Yoshida. Like he's he's kind of said, you know, he's gonna be an outfielder for the future. But in terms of the rest of the guys, it's pretty wide open. Verdugo, he's obviously got that spot initially, but he's gonna have to fight to keep it. And I think especially you're gonna have you're gonna have guys coming on the free agent market, like Soto looks to be headed to the free agent market. Depending on what the Padres do, they could obviously sign him, but Soto might be available. So it could be – it's really interesting to see what the Red Sox do with this outfit in the future. I think Rafael, I think he he's looking like he's going to be part of that. He's going to be one of the guys you're going to have with your, maybe a center fielder, center fielder or whatever. But I think you're looking at Yoshida and Rafael as of right now look to be the, sort of the long-term answers in the outfield. Yeah, no, I agree. And it kind of is unfortunate, but Kike Hernandez, unless he plays shortstop, is – probably not going to be on the roster after this year. Uh, it's just, I wish there was a way to extend them, and I don't, I guess he could after this year put him at short, if, depending on how it goes, but I just, that's going to hurt. <laughs> that's going to yeah. hurt a lot more than it does with a lot of the games, a lot of the guys that lost this previous offseason. Mm-hmm. I, I really love Kike, and it seems like he has taken a, taken a step forward in his leadership role with the clubhouse. Yeah, Kike, it's kind of it's kind of sad because yeah, you don't really see a long term future for Kike on this roster. But he is really one of the guys. Clubhouse loves him. He's become that leader, and I think that's really what the Red Sox need this year. Is they needed some guy to step up. I mean, people. I think people are hoping it'd be Rafi, and I think in the future it's kind of end up being Rafi just based on his personality. But Kike has really stepped up this year. The problem is, like on the on the field product, just. It's not a guy that you can realistically keep around forever. And so as much as I love Kike, I, I think they're probably going to be moving on from him, which is going to be sad to see because he is a, a really great part of this Red Sox team. Yeah, I, I I am pleasantly surprised what we've seen so far out of spring training. The only real negative that I can think of is Caleb Orton. Um, everyone else seems like they're fine of good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm really excited for this team. They are currently undefeated in spring training as we record. Yeah, uh, so of course they're going to lose tomorrow. I mean, yeah, as of right now, I believe they're the only team that hasn't lost a game in spring training. So, say what you will, but I mean, spring training obviously doesn't really correlate to the regular season in terms of wins. But this is pretty much a, a, apart from or and apart from some of the little injury stuff that's kind of inevitable. This really looks like to be the kind of best case scenario for spring training. Like, there looks to be just players and everyone's headed for a breakout. I mean, it's been so fun to watch. Just, you've got to see catchers running all around the bases. Just, Fitzy's been crazy. You've got Lugo. Lugo decided to break out this season. Had a really great game. And then just sort of really just the best case scenario I mean, apart from some, some small pitching things for spring training so far. So it's really been fun to watch. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I I, I didn't talk, we didn't talk about Lugo that much. I just I haven't noticed him that much while I'm in the backfields and while I'm at the games. And it seems like everyone except me has. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Lugo had that one game where he decided, you know what, I'm just gonna put the team on my back. And again, he's another one of those. He's a middle infield guy. Could be, like he's kind of be like again for, for these kind of position groups, second base and shortstop, uh, outfield. All these sort of you got kind of in terms of positions that are locked down. You pretty much have third base with Rafi and first base with Casas and everything else. 
people are going to be fighting for spots. And Matthew Lugo looks like he's prepared to do that as well. Yeah, but it's a, it's an exciting spring training to be a Red Sox fan. It definitely is looking good. Everything's looking up. Dare I say, it seems like a lot of the fan base is turning positive right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's the old saying that, that winning cures all, and the Red Sox have kind of proved that right now. No, no one's kind of been able to go crazy. No one's been able to say, oh, the Red Sox, look at this and this. Look at how they did, did it in this game. We're all going to fall apart. But, yeah, it's just – it's looked really good so far. It's been it's been really fun to watch. Yeah. But, yeah, I think that will conclude us for today. We'll probably have another podcast within a week or two, depending on what what moves get made, what spring training stuff happens. It just, you know, we'll, we'll go with the flow. But for now, I'm Sam. I'm Will. And this has been Socks in the City. Thanks for listening, y'all.